Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Um, welcome to SACPA. I'm Mary Shillington, your moderator for today, and uh, uh, this sounds a little loud, so I'll back up a little bit. Okay. Um, just want to welcome you and say a few things about SACPA. Uh, remind you to turn off your cell phones. I went to do that to mine and discovered I'd left it at home. So, uh, but turn off your cells, please. Uh, remember the baskets there for your ten dollars and uh, each of you, and somebody could check to make sure it's, you've got the right amount for the people at the table. Uh, remember, we're a volunteer organization, so whatever you can do and so on, we rely on your contributions to keep going. We'd uh, like to thank the, the other people, other groups who help us, which is the University of Lethbridge, which does the support uh, and distribution of notices. And, of course, we're all grateful to Country Kitchen for the good food that we get here. And to Shaw and, and Sheila here that uh, does the uh, presentation, tapes it and broadcasts it, and uh, other Lethbridge media that cover our events. So remember, we're going to have uh, our talk from, from our speaker today of 25 to 30 minutes, and then our lunch, and then the question period, and we'll finish around 1.30. I'm uh, quite honored to be able to introduce uh, Trevor Harrison. I think we're very fortunate to have him not only here today, but here at the University of Lethbridge. Uh, he is going to talk about the Tea Party uh, movement, as you can see up here on our, our slide, and he gave a little bit of background to it, and he'll give you more, but I'll just uh, highlight some of the things. It's a, a populist uh, political movement. Uh, it's generally recognized as conservative and libertarian and sponsored protests and supported political candidates since ni 2009, and uh, their goals have been to reduce uh, government spending opposition to taxation in varying degrees, and reduction of the national debt and federal budget deficit. That's all part of their agenda. And also, I hadn't known this, an adherence to an originalist interpretation of the United States Constitution. And so uh, Trevor's going to talk about the movement and uh, who our supporters are and how they impacted on the 2010 uh, elect midterm elections. Who is Trevor Harrison? Well, he's a nice guy, I can tell you that. Uh, he's uh, quite bright. He's a professor of sociology and associate director of the P Prentice Institute for Global Population and Economics at the University of Lethbridge. And he, uh, he left uh, St. Albert uh, in northern uh, Alberta to come down here, and I'm quite grateful he did because uh, he also eventually brought his wife, uh, Terry Saunders, who uh, was my team leader at uh, Lethbridge Family Services. She was our clinical supervisor and still is. Uh, Trevor is, the, uh, since 1996, he has been the co-founder of uh, Parkland Institute at the University of Alberta. And uh, he's uh, best known for his studies in political sociology, political economy, and public policy. He's quite prolific. He's written a number of books, co-authored uh, uh, seven books, and contributes frequently to the public media. And 
uh, last year, uh, in, in the fall, 2010, he was the visiting Fulbright Research Chair at Ke- Kennesaw State University in Georgia. And so that's where he's got this all this information that he's wanting to share with us today. And it sounds like it's going to be very interesting. So I w- I'd ask you to welcome Trevor Harrison. Thank you very, uh, thank you very much, Mary. That was a uh, wonderful introduction. Um, okay, my voice usually. Oh boy, that is loud. My voice carries usually quite loud. Anyway, at least I haven't been accused of uh, being terribly soft-spoken in the past. But uh, if anybody has a problem, I will uh, increase my volume here. Yes, I. Uh, it's, it's really nice to be here. Thank you very much for uh, SACPA for uh, inviting me uh, to give this presentation. It's always really enjoyable to to be here and uh, meet with uh, so many fine people. This is a. Uh, one of the real highlight institutions, I think, of uh, Lethbridge in southern Alberta is the uh, Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Uh, and I've had a chance to speak here before, and it's really nice to be back. Well, as uh, Mary has mentioned, uh, I had the, uh, the pleasure of actually being in uh, uh, Georgia over the, uh, the fall. I was there actually for uh, four months, uh, invited down there. And uh, while I was there, I, I, uh, Kennesaw State University is actually just outside of uh, Atlanta, Georgia. It's about 12 miles. I was just saying, in fact, there, it's kind of, uh, although there's a Kennesaw State University, there's not really much of a Kennesaw any longer. It's uh, kind of just fast uh, food places, big box stores, and freeways. Uh, but I did get to see the whole area quite a bit and uh, traveled around Georgia a lot. Got out to uh, Savannah on a couple of occasions. Uh, went up to uh, uh, South Carolina, up to Charleston, up to uh, Nashville in Tennessee. Went to Opryland. So, and while I was there, of course, they had this little thing called uh, uh, midterm elections, and uh, so I managed to take that in as well. And uh, it was a fascinating time. I learned a great deal about the United States that I didn't know. Uh, it's always uh, we imagine we know a good deal about it, but uh, you always it's very different once you're there. So what I'm going to talk about today is about the uh, Tea Party movement. Uh, and uh, some impressionistic things about it, but also uh, give you some, I hope, hard facts and materials about the uh, the movement. Um, so, uh, what you know, there are various kind of competing views of the uh, the Tea Party. Uh, one is that it's a grassroots uh, populist movement. One of the people who has uh, uh, regularly, of course, number of people who are connected with the movement itself will proclaim it as being a uh, grassroots populist movement. One of the people who's done that is uh, Dick Armey, uh, who uh, is a Republican operative and operates uh, Freedom Works, which is a fairly large organization uh, that is uh, has been around for a while and supports the Republican Party. It's a bit of a, it's kind of a front group. Uh, it's not surprising that someone is uh, uh, involved at a very high uh, level with the uh, Republican Party would want to claim it as a populist movement. There are, however, I would suggest some legitimate aspects to, uh, to the Tea Party movement that make it, in some sense, grassroots. Um, but I wouldn't say that's totally the story. On the other hand, there is a competing view that it's, uh, as they say, an astroturf organization funded by large corporations. Uh, the Koch brothers uh, with, uh, of Koch Industries, uh, arguably 
between them, the two brothers uh, and their family fortunes placed them about probably the third largest, uh, third most uh, wealthy family uh, in the world, uh, certainly in the United States. Uh, and they, uh, from various reports, certainly have funded uh, much of the uh, Tea Party movement. Um, is it, on the other hand, as some people would claim, just simply a Fox News product? And Fox News, of course, gave it a great deal of publicity, uh, as did other media outlets, and I'll talk about that a little bit as well. And no doubt, Fox News is a great source of the reason the Tea Party uh, managed to get so much uh, publicity over a short period of time and seemed to have the influence it did. There's another competing view that it's uh, simply a kind of libertarian uh, fringe. And again, I would suggest that there is some truth to this. There certainly were a number of people who ran for and were elected uh, under the Tea Party banner who uh, I would classify as having uh, primarily libertarian beliefs. But again, that isn't the whole story, as I'll suggest to you. And finally, there's a view that it's actually a kind of uh, uh, Christian fundamentalist front. Uh, and again, there are a number of people that one could point to within the movement who are uh, particularly born-again Christians, uh, but again, I don't think that's the whole story of it. So what I'm going to present to you is, in fact, a movement that is uh, far more complex than, uh, than one particular view would give us. And, uh, and finally, as I take you through this and show you how some evidence for how the party seems to have done, uh, I'll finally uh, conclude with talking about what I think is really going on and motivating some of its members. Uh, as was mentioned, uh, you know, the, the Tea Party in some sense is relatively new. Um, when, do, when does any movement actually start? It's actually more complicated than one, one thinks. Uh, but in some kind of empirical sense, uh, you can trace it back to uh, the early part of 2009. January, February, there were a few uh, people who uh, suggested that what America needed. This is, of course, in the context of the election of a uh, Democratic president, uh, you know, first uh, black president of the United States, uh, President Obama. Lots of uh, antagonism towards what had happened in the previous election, and so you already very early on have uh, people who are suggesting what we need is a Tea Party movement on the uh, in kind of common with, of course, the historic Tea Party movement in uh, Boston Harbor uh, setting off the American Revolution. Um, one key event here, and some of you may have actually seen it. If you haven't uh, already seen it, you can certainly go to any uh, Google the website and you can see uh, CNBC business news editor Rick Santelli uh, doing a, a quite amazing rant on the uh, floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Uh, where he was ranting about the uh, the bailouts for people who had uh, taken out mortgages uh, and now couldn't pay for them. <clears throat> and uh, what he was referring to here was his own belief that, of course, this was creating what is referred to as moral hazard, that, of course, you do this, and more and more people just simply take out bad loans. There's some arguments that uh, now this this particular scene actually went, as they say, viral very quickly and uh, became kind of the basis for uh, stimulating uh, further uh, protests. Uh, there is some uh, mention, however, that in fact this may have itself been quite a staged event uh, that wasn't quite as spontaneous uh, as uh, has been suggested by some.
And that's one of the things that's very difficult to, to know about this movement. How much is spontaneous rage and how much is actually kind of a very planned uh, thing. In any case, the protests spread uh, throughout the summer of 2009. There were uh, health care reform rallies uh, throughout the United States, protests about the uh, efforts to bring in Obamacare. Uh, I had the uh, pleasure of actually being in San Francisco in the uh, summer of 2009 and uh, Quite regularly, I was there with my uh, my uh, wife and my son, and uh, people would come up to us once they knew we were Canadians, and they would ask us questions about Canadian health care and, uh, you know, all kinds of things like, is it true that you put your elders on ice flows? And... Uh, I had I had to be honest with them. I had to tell them that, in fact, uh, we no longer did that because global warming had gotten rid of a lot of the ice flows. <laughs> so um, so I, I dissuaded them from that view. Uh, but it, it was a, it was quite amazing, actually. These uh, these protests about healthcare reform, and of course, some people would go there carrying uh, you know a uh, fairly autumn you know, automated uh, weapons and whatnot, and it was kind of a scary and weird moment. Uh, but these protests over various things continued. Early 2010, the Tea Party, uh, uh, there was a Tea Party convention, the first one that was held at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel in Nashville, which actually ended up uh, not at this point, but back last uh, November actually going there. Uh, my wife and I, and uh, amazingly ostentatious place. They just got over a flood, which uh, was quite amazing last May. But, uh, you know, interesting place to go, I have to tell you. Um, so there's a lot of kind of immediate things that lead uh, to the uh, Tea Party movement getting off the ground. But what I would suggest is, in fact, uh, that the movement and the ideas and the impulses and the fears and the anxieties that under, uh, underlie the party or the movement, uh, because it isn't really a party, um, is much older than that. And you have to think in terms of psychology, but psychologies that become embedded in larger kind of cultural products. Uh, here's a quote here. Uh, I'll let you just kind of read it. Uh, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, talking about, you know, people being fearful, the feared, uh, the right wing being, fearing that they're losing something, that there's kind of, uh, subvertive subversion uh, going on around them. Uh, intellectuals are the enemies, uh, various cosmopolitan elites, that, uh, you know, pure capitalism as practiced by the uh, practitioners in 1775 has been overcome by socialists and communists, uh, that even uh, politicians who are uh, in places of power have, in fact, are really kind of covert agents for the destruction of the United States and the American way of life. Um, if this sounds very familiar, and of course, uh, uh, over the last, ever since President Obama was elected, there's been all kinds of uh, stories about uh, him actually being uh, an anti-American and trying to bring down the United States and, and just uh, amazing stuff. This sounds uh, familiar. Keep in mind here that, in fact, this is actually a quote from one of the most famous pieces ever written, probably in American political history, Richard Hofstetter's uh, uh, writings on uh, the paranoid streak in American politics, and it comes from 1964. So uh, you can see that you know, we've, we've kind of returned to some uh, very familiar themes here. There are a number of things then that are kind of deep uh, historic cultural roots to the Tea Party, it seems to me. And while I was there, I, I 
I subjected myself. It's a bit crazy to do it, I guess, but I actually subjected myself to watching an awful lot of American television, particularly shows like uh, Beyond the Usual Stuff we get, uh, watching Fox News, which will drive you absolutely crazy if you watch it long enough. Uh, but I did actually watch Glenn Beck regularly. I was just fascinated. I mean, he's a very interesting uh, character. Uh, and, uh, you know, Bill O'Reilly and all of that. But I also listened fairly intently to uh, uh, talk radio down there, which is kind of wall-to-wall, 24-7 hate. Uh, There's no other way to put it. I mean, it is just wall-to-wall craziness uh, and is incredibly polarizing. Um, And so out of that, I came to realize there's a lot of very familiar themes that are going on, though, and they, again, have very historic uh, roots to it. One of them is the notion of states' rights and a, an, an idea called nullification. Uh, now, the picture you see on, uh, on the right there, your right, uh, that's actually the, uh, uh, a pedestal to a character by the name of John C. Calhoun. Uh, John C. Calhoun is the most important historical politician in South Carolina history. Uh, But he was also vice president of the United States uh, under Andrew Jackson. And uh, it was Calhoun. One of the big things in the United States, even leading up to the uh, Civil War, was an argument about is the United States a – does it have a powerful federal government, kind of a national government, or are there states' rights that were embedded in the way the United States was founded? John C. Calhoun came up with an idea of nullification. His argument was that, in fact, the states, when they all came into uh, the the first 13 colonies that rebelled and afterwards, that every state had the right, in fact, to uh, reject any kind of federal laws. And, in fact, uh, his argument was that any single state rejecting a federal law could, therefore, have the federal law overturned in which case the federal government would have to go back and negotiate with every state to come up with a law that each and every one of them would agree with. John C. Calhoun felt so seriously about this that, in fact, as vice president, when Andrew Jackson tried to uh, bring in a national law uh, at one point, John C. Calhoun resigned as vice president uh, and went back to South Carolina. Now, why is this important? Well, John C. Calhoun eventually dies, but after his, uh, his death some years later, uh, the Civil War breaks out. And the Civil War breaks out, as I learned down there, South Carolina was the major place for it. And the arguments about nullification, that in the case of the Civil War, that South Carolina could opt out of any uh, attempts by the federal government to ban slavery, uh, this was very much at the heart of, uh, of the Civil War. Now, nullification, therefore, remains there today as a part of American history. Despite the Civil War, the idea of nullification is very much a part of the Tea Party movement. You may well be in a, aware that uh, only 45 minutes drive from here in Montana, the uh, newly elected uh, Republican majority has actually brought forward no less than 12 bills in the last two months, where they are attempting to nullify uh, any actions of the federal government. They're saying basically that Montana can opt out of anything that the federal government wants to bring in. Uh, Lawmakers down there, of course many of the Democrats who are elected, 
are saying this is absolutely crazy and illegal, but Montana's trying to do it, and so are many of the other states there. And this is directly tied to the Tea Party movement, the belief that, in fact, everything is decentralized, that the federal government should have no say over a, a whole host of different things uh, as far as they can, are concerned. What other kind of themes? Well, the right to bear arms. Don't need to go too far on that. Taxation is confiscation, the idea that every kind of tax is just basically a bad idea and that you uh, have to have some kind of uh, perfect uh, representation in order to bring it in. Notions of rugged individualism. One of the things that keeps coming out in the Tea Party is everybody should get off their butts and do it for themselves and shouldn't have government do anything. Uh, notion of American exceptionalism. One of the things that kept coming through uh, repeatedly in the elections and afterwards uh, was the idea that uh, the United States is not like any other country, and it can't be. And if it isn't, uh, if it becomes anything other than different from every other country on earth, that in fact the United States is doomed and what's American identity if we're not different from everybody else? Uh, in fact, the repeated thing, statement made by... Uh, radio talk show people while I was there was uh, quite often I remember a gentleman by the name of Michael Medved who's a uh, nationally syndicated talk show host saying you know is the United States exceptional or is it just going to be like any other European socialist welfare state you know that's the way it's framed you you either have to be one or the other and and that's the only way you can go the other thing is that the United States notions of manifest destiny and that in fact the United States must be a beacon to the entire world and that to allow it to be anything other than just being like any other country is in some sense a betrayal of its purpose on earth. Um, in some sense, as I've written in an article by uh, a book actually came out, came out fairly recently by Jill Lepore, uh, what you have going on here is a war over history or the interpretation of history. As I regularly tell my students, in fact, uh, it's important to study history because the way we understand the present is often embedded in kind of in, uh, historical interpretations. If you have a chance to watch uh, Glenn Beck at all, and I tell you, it really is quite fascinating. Um, Glenn Beck goes on at great lengths trying to give his, his interpretation of various historical moments in American life, which he says have been forgotten or hidden because there's a conspiracy to hide real history. And so uh, he tries to reinterpret everything that's going on now in the context of things. So, for example, that everything bad going on in the United States can be traced back to the progressive era of the early part of the 20th century and particularly to Woodrow Wilson. So uh, for at least for Glenn Beck, uh, everything didn't just start with uh, President Obama. The bad things started 100 years ago now. There are also practical interests at work here. There's obviously corporate profits. Much of the argument about uh, getting rid of various kinds of social programs, minimal as they are in the United States, lowering taxes, etc., has to do with the fact that there's a lot of money to be made by people, including particularly in terms of health care, because, of course, that is a huge moneymaker, so any threats to that uh, have to be countered. There's also incredible political advantage uh, that is at work within the Tea Party. Running against Washington is, is always a no-brainer. Much like in Canada, running against Ottawa tends to be kind of a no-brainer, right? Lots of votes there. Uh, you know, running against big government, Offering low taxes, 
course, no one ever says, what do you, if you get low taxes, does that mean you don't get anything else? You don't get any social programs or your streets fixed? Nobody talks about that, but it's a, it's a moneymaker. It's a, it's a way of getting votes. The other thing is uh, media viewership and news and entertainment. Uh, we have to keep in mind here that as much as the, we like to think the media is actually trying to inform us, the media primarily is interested also in getting you to watch it. Uh, so, uh, you know, media to a large extent is about uh, entertainment. And uh, quite frankly, from the point of view of Fox News and many of the talk radio programs, much as we see here in Canada, uh, saying outrageous things, uh, having polarized arguments, uh, engendering conflict is, again, a way of getting your ratings up. So there's some real interest in promoting uh, movements such as the Tea Party. Tea Party is a real mixed bag of elements. Uh, this is – I was really pleased with this graphic. I don't do this very often. I thought it was really good, actually. Uh, so you've got kind of Tea Party activists, but you've also got a kind of an amalgam of neoconservative types. Uh, you've got – Definitely within the movement, uh, religious right elements. You've got some very strange kind of conspiracy theorists who go on about this is kind of the birther movement, you know, that President Obama was not born in the United States. Uh, interesting enough, the Republican Party is much bigger, of course, than the Tea Party movement. Keep that in mind. But recent figure actually is a recent poll. Within the Republican Party, 51% of the uh, Republican Party believes that uh, President Obama has no right to be president, that he's illegitimate, and the basis for this is the belief that he wasn't born in the United States. And it doesn't matter how many times you could uh, present arguments that you know, prove, in fact, that he was, in fact, born in Hawaii, that 51% will never stop believing that. Right? That's, that's, it is a core belief at this point. And finally, there's a substantial libertarian element within the Republican Party, though, uh, and within the Tea Party activists who are uh, not at all particularly interested in uh, moral conservative issues. They're just your basic libertarians. Almost one could, in, in fact, say in some cases, there's almost kind of a right anarchist element to it. So who are the movement supporters? Uh, they are prim primarily registered Republicans, uh, but I have to say here, these are Republicans who also don't really like the Republican Party in some sense. So they are actually a kind of a radical movement within the Republican Party that is saying, we don't like you guys either. We certainly really don't like the Democrats, but we're not too crazy about you. Uh, it is primarily male. But uh, it is interesting, actually, that uh, they ran an awful lot of female candidates. In fact, uh, uh, and, and some of the most prominent people within the movement are uh, female. Uh, tend to be older than 45, a lot of uh, boomers, basically. Primarily white, 79% in one poll, at least. Married, uh, Christian, 44% born again in one poll. But again, keep in mind here, uh, that is certainly not the whole movement. Middle and upper middle class, uh, so they're reasonably well off, but reasonably well off and also scared they're about to lose it, as I'll come back to. Uh, above average education, that tends to go along with actually the uh, class position. And generally morally conservative, but again, keep in mind that kind of libertarian element. What are their immediate aims? Certainly cut taxes, uh, cut government spending overall, uh, and Obamacare. Obamacare is a real flashpoint for them. At the same time, curiously enough, uh, hands off Medicaid and Social Security. 
so one of the problems for the Republican Party is they, of course, want to make cuts all over the place, but part of their largest constituency really doesn't want to cut into two of the most expensive programs they have. And also, uh, one of the really curious things that keeps coming out down in the United States is every time uh, Tea Partiers and others complain about Obamacare because they say it's government interference by bringing you know, in uh, health care, at the same time, they forget the fact that there already is a government health care program, and that's Medicaid. It may actually be relatively small, but uh, they think somehow that the government wants to take away what is actually a government program. So it's a very unusual argument. Uh, repeatedly, they talk about wanting to take back the country. Take back the country, if you think back to that uh, quote before from Richard Hofstetter, that the country is being lost, it's being taken over by a secret cabal that is somehow going to uh, take over the United States. So they're taking it back from who? Well, conspirators. There's also finally a mixed bag of other things they're interested in, but again, they're, they're pockets of this, and it tends to be uh, primarily the, uh, the moral majority group. Immigration reform, this became a big issue in places like Nevada, Arizona, uh, of course close to the uh, Mexican border. Abortion, same-sex marriage, and a number of things like that. Also, of course, real concern over gun control, the idea that the federal government's going to take away their guns. Ooh, I'm going to have to really rush through this. Two minutes. Okay. Uh, here's the number of uh, uh, seats that were actually up for grabs here. You can see that the Democrats lost in a lot of places. They didn't totally lose the Senate. Uh, but they did, however, lose the House of Representatives. In fact, this was an amazing repudiation. How did the Tea Party candidates do? Uh, some of them uh, did very well. Some of them are quite prominent here. Uh, Nikki Haley, first uh, East Indian uh, female elected uh, in South Carolina. She's the, uh, now a uh, governor. Uh, Rand Paul, you see in the middle here, is your definite uh, libertarian. He's the son of Ron Paul, longstanding libertarian. Interesting enough, the uh, Rand Paul, like his father, one of the things they actually propose is the United States shut down most of its military bases overseas because uh, they think that uh, they're spending way too much on their military. This may not be popular within the Republican Party as a whole, but there is a constituency for uh, this. Then you have uh, people on the uh, losing side here who I won't go into, but they were a really interesting bunch here. The middle uh, person, uh, Palladino, I, I say refer to him as the kneecapper. He said uh, he threatened people. He said he was going to take people out uh, who were opposed to him. Uh, he lost. Um, here you have... Uh, in terms of the wins and losses, uh, I've, it's very hard to sort out the actual Tea Party effect from other groups that were supporting the Tea Party uh, or supporting these candidates. So you have the Tea Party Express that solely supported some candidates. They won 85. They lost 53, according to the Washington Post. But there was also Dick Armey's group, Freedom Works, which supported some along with Tea Party, so which had more effect. You have Ter uh, Sarah Palin, who also supported some. Uh, and Sarah Palin, um, as we'll see, lost some and won some as well. What was the Tea Party's influence overall? One of the biggest effects is it actually knocked out a lot of Republican candidates before they got to the election. So they won in the primaries, which may have cost the Republicans some seats afterwards. Almost certainly, uh, Christine O'Donnell, uh, by winning the uh, 
running in Delaware actually lost it for uh, the Republican Party. Another Republican candidate probably would have actually won that seat. Uh, but it did energize the Republican base, gave a great deal of enthusiasm to people going out to vote. What was Sarah Palin's influence? It's actually rather unclear here. She gets a phenomenal amount of publicity, uh, but it's not clear that she was a real help or a hindrance. And, uh, you know, some of her most pro high-profile people actually lost out. What's its uh, future? Uh, or is there a future uh, Tea Party movement in Canada? Well, to some extent, there's a chance for this. Um, there are some beliefs that are very strong here, very similar about small government, low taxes. Uh, there is a libertarian element, although it's not as strong in Canada as it is in the United States. Uh, and one of the things that is promoting the Tea Party in the United States and has a potential here is the growing gap between the rich and poor. This, I would suggest, is actually fueling really the anxiety. Um, so I want to suggest, finally, to think differently about the Tea Party. I think it's really important to, as much as... Uh, uh, looking at some of the, you know, perhaps stranger things that they come out with, and sometimes totally erroneous things, is to get in touch with the actual emotions and fears that people actually have. Fear is a great motivator to get people to do things. The way that the Tea Party movement is actually going along with things, I would disagree with. It's solutions to things I would profoundly disagree with. But getting in touch with why they're fearful, I think, is really important. The fact is the United States is the growing gap between the rich and the poor is phenomenal. The most of the people within the Tea Party movement, not the leaders, not the corporate types like Dick Army, most of them are basic middle class people. They tend to be baby boomers and they see their futures actually disintegrating. The middle class in North America is being decimated. Interesting poll result here, just about at the end. 60% of Tea Party supporters actually oppose free trade. Republican Party, however, very much supports free trade, and quite frankly, so does the Democratic Party. Um, as Chris Hedges suggests, the real fight in the United States is not between the Democrats and the Republicans. The real fight is actually a class war. Uh, it's a fight between the elites and everybody else who's getting left out. And the same thing is happening in Canada. But where is that anger actually going to go? There are signs in the United States, and I think there's signs here in Canada, that as the middle class gets more and more anxious, fearful, angry, and frustrated, that it's in fact going to start biting off its own tail because it has forgotten who, it's really, uh, who is really opposing it, and that is the large corporate interest. And that's what's really fueling what's going on in the United States right now. Uh, but the Tea Party movement is kind of a loose cannon out there. It doesn't really, many of the members, like either the Democrats or Republicans, where is it going to end up? That's the question to, uh, we can leave to think about. Thank you.